Amen. Amen. Can we cheer for God for a second? Can we just clap really loud? Come on. Yay, God. Yeah, yeah. Yay, God. It's like it's rock kids back here. You all may be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you for what you do uh, each and every week. Uh, hey, I am Pastor Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Rock Vineyard. And uh, listen, I, uh, I'll say this before I pray and we, we jump into the message today. I was uh, talking with a friend this week and uh, she said, we were just talking about different things. And uh, she said, so like after Sunday morning, you know, like, do you ever think about your sermon? afterward, you know? Do you think like how certain things could have been better or certain things could have worked out differently or whatever? And uh, I just said, no, not really. Uh, Not because I think I'm killing it, because I'm not, you know? Uh, But because what I do ask myself every Sunday is, uh, am I pointing people to hope? That's all I really care about. Is, is there a hope that we can that we can look toward that we can look forward to? Is is there is there a hope out there that that I can hopefully point people toward? That that's really the only question I have. So so I hope today that if you are here and you're and you're in a situation, there are things going on in life that that seem hopeless or whatever. Um, I want to take some time today to to point you to hope and and that hope that has a name. Uh, so I want to pray for us before we jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in worship. But I pray, I pray for the hopeless today. I pray for those who, who may feel like they're, they're in the in-between. Maybe they're not followers, but maybe they're not not followers. They're just kind of in this in-between. And so, Father, I just want to pray for hope. Hope for all of us. Um, but, but that person certainly is, has been on my heart this morning. And so I just pray we would see you, hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it is week two of our brand new series that we are calling Off the Grid. And I want to highlight a couple of things from last week in case you missed last week or you didn't catch up on Spotify. I want to highlight just a few things for you. When we talk about going off the grid, because this idea, it comes from the life of Jesus. Because we know very, very little about Jesus' life from his birth to his ministry. In fact, we have a little uh, timeline for you if you are with us right now. There's a little uh, timeline of his life. Just a few things that we know about Jesus' life from zero to 30. And honestly, looking at that, that's not much. That is not much of an Instagram feed, Jesus. You know, you're, you're not really highlighting a lot of things going on in your life. Your 20s especially, that's when we're supposed to be like doing everything. But we know almost nothing about Jesus. And so he really is living this hidden life we talked about, right? Hidden, a, a hidden life within the family business for nearly 30 years before he starts this public ministry. Jesus, he had no crowds No miracles, no followers, just hidden work preparing him for what was ahead. And now we know the public ministry aspect of Jesus' life very well. If you have a Bible, there's a lot to say about those three years of Jesus' life. But 
Before that, he had over 29 years of life that we know very little. In fact, over 29 years of his life is summed up in a single verse. You should see this on the screen, Luke 2, 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So imagine you have 29 years of your life summed up in a single sentence. Jesus, he is God, and yet he limited himself to our human experience. And in doing so, he, he grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. The fact that he grew in intellect, he grew in his physical body. God, the son, grew in his relationship with God, the father. Like, I think that is an incredible thought. I think that's amazing to actually try to think about how like his time with God, his quiet time with God led to, if you will, spiritual breakthroughs in his life. Or he felt the presence of God as he prayed. Like, I think that is incredible because sometimes doesn't worship just hit you and you're like, oh, praise God. I may be Baptist in my background, but I got two hands up. Oh, God. Like sometimes that, that happens to me, right? And then sometimes you're just kind of like, and praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the One. You know, you just kind of hum through it, right? Is that just me, or does anyone else kind of struggle a little bit with that, right? You don't feel it sometimes. But Jesus, he grew with God. Just like I'm sure if you call yourself a follower of God today, you have felt like I'm growing with God. You feel it, you know it. But all that growth and maturing, it happened off the grid, we're saying, it's not recorded, and it wasn't recorded for us to read. We know nothing about those 29 years, right? And the larger point of last week that continues to today is this. Some of the most important growth you will have with God is completely hidden. Hidden growth, remaining humble, being hidden behind the scenes. It is better for your soul than a thousand more followers online. We need to draw less attention to ourselves and embrace a humble intention to grow with God instead. Or put another way, Pastor Kevin McQueen, he put it this way. He said, if we try to escape obscurity, we will diminish in maturity. I'll say it again because it was so good and I didn't say it, so it's not arrogant, okay? Pastor McQueen, okay, this is what he said. He said, if we try to escape obscurity, we will diminish in maturity. Saying obscurity is the type of growth that will only come when we go off the grid. So an important question that we're going to answer today is something that I think at some point we've all asked or maybe we're asking today. So how do you even grow with God? How do you, as people would say, grow spiritually? What does that look like? So let's look at the life of Jesus really quickly. Uh, my, it's not really my first point, but something that I want to highlight immediately for us is this. Every single area of Jesus' life was grounded in a single source. Every single area of his life, his passions, his convictions, his desires, they were grounded in a single source. And so let's, let's think about your life for just a moment. You have things you are passionate about, and that is great. 
That is a gift from God to have passions. That's great. You have convictions that matter to you, and those could certainly be God-given. You have desires and things that you want to do, places you want to go, a life that you want to build. Those can be good. But here's the question I want to ask you today. What's that source? What's the source of those passion, passions, the, the source of those desires? What's your source, the source of your convictions? Because for Jesus, he knew his source, and that's why I've capitalized that S. His source wasn't a what. His source was a who, his heavenly father. His passion? From God. His convictions were from God. His desires were from God. And so when you think about your life and the things that you get really passionate about, or let's be honest, the things that you get worked up about, you know, the things that, that make you want to uh, post online, right? Who or what is the source of that? Because living in a fallen world, listen, we are persuaded to trade those sources all the time. I, am, I, I, I get the temptation of that as well. We're easily persuaded into trading our sources. It starts with a good passion. Think of, of justice or compassion or truth. Those are biblical. Those are good. But slowly, we are tempted to trade the sources of those things. And it's, it's not because we're growing closer with God. It's, it's the opposite. Instead of being off the grid with God as he guides us in all truth, we are more attached and more connected to every thought the world offers us. And, and listen to me, it chips away at your soul. Slowly but surely, it chips away at your soul, our, our main source for love, for truth, for security, for purpose. It gets tossed aside when we trade these sources when we no longer go to our Heavenly Father and we know the source that, that truth comes from or, or love or purpose or identity, we kind of throw it off to the side. And you know, it can feel virtuous for a time because no matter what you, you choose to believe, there will always be people who will agree with you. And it feels good for a time. But you know what it does? When we trade these sources... It pollutes our souls and it weakens our faith. It weakens our walk with God. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things and for whom we exist, the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And so in the life of the believer, this is where we get our identity. This is where we get our truth and our being from this one true capital S source. We must be tied to the source. We must return to the source over and over and over. Or put another way, we need an anchor. Our soul needs an anchor. And I had a very interesting experience recently with an anchor. As my family and I went boating uh, for the first time with some friends in Michigan over the summer. And I'd never been out on a boat or anything like that. I've done different things out on the water, but never been on a boat. And we were tubing. But before we even got there, we went out to the middle of this lake. And the captain, he looked at me and he said, all right, dad, jump out. And something you need to know about me. I, I hate cold water. I, I don't do cold water. 
Uh, it's something that God's grown my heart in, but I just, I don't do it. But the captain kind of put me on the spot and I thought I want to be impressive and I don't want to hesitate. And so I hopped right in and it was the worst decision of my life. But not just because the water was cold and I didn't get used to it immediately. But I noticed that the wind was a little heavy that day. And there I am in the water. And then my wife jumps in and, and I think one of our children jumped in as well. And so we're all having a good time. But the boat didn't put an anchor down. And because it was windy, that boat kept moving. And, and no one knew it at the time. And I'm sorry, I'm just now confessing this to my wife. I was fighting for my life out there. <laughs> because, listen, I, I was trying to be cool. Oh, yeah. And that boat's getting away from me. So I'm like, okay. You know, I just kind of try to keep going. But it would have been a lot easier if the captain had put down an anchor, but he didn't. And so then I start Michael Phelpsing my way back to the stupid boat. I felt so dumb. I really did. And once I got back to the boat and I regained my composure and my warmth, I realized, I realized that at times in my life, I felt like that in my faith. And I have friends and family at times in their life, they have felt like that in their faith, struggling and, and fighting for their faith. But it's like it just keeps getting away, right? Because you can't casually make your way back to God, if, if, if you will. I think you, you need to go all in and you need to, if you will, you need to Michael Phelps your way back over to, to it, okay? And it's not that, that God is without an anchor and that he's just playing keep away from you, but it's that this is a relationship. It's a two-way sort of thing. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. Think of those words, firm and secure. This faith, this anchor for our soul, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we have this hope, okay? We have this hope, Jesus, like a what? He's like a what? Come on, a little call and response. Jesus is like a anchor, anchor. Okay, see, that was easy, all right? I promise I'm not gonna mess with you. It's easy. He's an anchor for our soul. And this anchor is described as firm and secure, do those words describe your faith this morning? I'm firm and secure, baby. Or is it something else? And, that, and that's not me saying like, oh, you, you should try harder. Oh, you should read more. Oh, you should, no, no, no. Just let, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Is your faith right now firm and secure or is it kind of somewhere else? Because when I was in school, I heard this phrase, a ship drifts because it lacks an anchor. And so, yes, I live that out in real time. And so you can laugh at that, you know, illustration. But maybe that could resonate with you today as you consider your faith. You feel helpless and it's like you're drifting further and further and you're wondering what's going on. It's because our souls need the assurances and security of our anchor. And that is, that is Christ. Because if it's not, we will drift we will drift and drift and drift because maybe you're not having a crisis of faith yet. Maybe you're not drowning. Maybe you're in a life vest and you're just, I'll play it cool. I'll make my way back. It's cool. It's all right. But you don't realize 
what's happening to your soul. You don't realize how it erodes your faith. The drifting is what happens. And so when we drift, I mean, let's just be honest, we drift, yes, into sin, but we drift into bad habits. We drift into finding our identity and our worth from other things as well. And so my first point is simply this, uh, true worth, it is found, what I'm saying is off the grid. When we go away, when we are with God, true worth is found with God. And, and I have a lot of conversations with people who are really struggling with their value. They're struggling with their worth. And they feel like because of their past, because of their mistakes, because of their history, that they're worthless. But when you, when you get off the grid, when, when it's just you and God, he tells you what your worth is. Think of it this way. Jesus showed this to us in his life. Luke 3, 21 through 23, the Bible says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And so this is incredible for a moment. Check this out. All of this takes place before his ministry. All of this takes place before the miracles of his ministry. All of this took place before he did any of this ministry work that we know him to have done. Jesus has yet, if you will, to accomplish really a single thing in his ministry. And yet God tells him, I am well pleased. God loves you before you've done anything for him. He doesn't wait to love a cleaned up version of you. He doesn't wait until you get into therapy to work on yourself. He doesn't wait until you kind of get your life together and then you want to make a habit of church. Like, like God loves you as you are, even when you sleep in on Sundays. Amen. Not for me, but you know, amen for you. That God loves you. He loves you deeply and passionately. He loves you exactly as you are. And yet he loves you entirely too much to let you stay where you are. So if you are that person with us today or you are listening online and you feel like your self-worth is at an all-time low, then please know that while you may feel like you are drowning and you can barely keep your head above water, that God is not on the boat driving away from you, wishing that you would just try harder. But he is like the captain throwing you a literal lifesaver named Jesus. Jesus who saves, Jesus who changes everything, Jesus who loves you, who died for you, who wants to rescue you and remind you that your worth doesn't come from your past, from your mistakes, from your history, but it comes from your source. It comes from your anchor, God himself. He defines you and he gives your life worth. And to him, you were worth giving up his son for her. What? I love you all. I'm not giving my literal son up for you. But God did that. God did that because he, he is so, so passionate because he loves you so much. Your true worth comes from God. And you find it when you go all in with God. Your true worth 
if you will, is only found off the grid, away from people. And it's built in a, in a, a purposeful relationship with God, away from the noise and into the wild, if you will, out of our comfort zones. But this isn't easy all the time because it requires us to take some purposeful steps. And honestly, have you ever, if, if you say I'm a Christian, have, have you ever experienced those spiritual highs, right? You, you have those like mountaintops, if you will, and it's just like all this so, comes so easy. But then like you, you're going through some stuff, right? And, and your feelings and emotions aren't really consistent with that spiritual high anymore and it becomes tougher and harder and all these things. Well, I want to talk about strength for a second. My second point is simply this, that that true strength only comes when we go off the grid. Away from everything. Away from everyone else. And listen, it takes time. It takes time. I got some CrossFit friends and I would like to know if five minute abs are a thing and to... So the worst news in my life, they're not. It takes time, right? But you know, sometimes I get half inspired. I see those infomercials for five minutes a day. <laughs> and it's tempting. Six easy payments of $39.99, five minutes a day. Here's this device that makes you look like an idiot. I want to speak to... I mean, this could be all people, but I'm a, I'm a guy. So let me talk to the guys on the verge of a midlife crisis. Five-minute abs aren't real. That's not true. True strength is developed in the gym and honestly, at the dinner table, okay? You can't just go to the gym and then eat little Caesars every week, okay? Five-minute abs are not a thing. Five-minute maturity, it's not a thing. Five-minute strength, not a thing. Maturity doesn't come in a moment. Growth doesn't happen in an instant. I mean, how long did, did it take Jesus to get to those three years of ministry? How long did it take him to just get to those three years? Over 29 years, 29 years of obedience, 29 years of hidden work, 29 years of obscurity, 29 years where no one thanked him for his great ministry, 29 years. So you're reading through a book of the Bible and you, you've been at it for two good days, but you know, I'm just not feeling it, pastor. I'm just, I'm just not feeling the Lord. I don't know. Uh, okay, come on, illustration time. So imagine you got someone that shows up in your gym. You know, I've been at it for two days. And I left the briars in the freezer. But four to eight hours and I got, I got no abs. You wouldn't let, okay, let's be honest, that's stupid, right? Like, like, come on. You wouldn't let someone out of it that easily, right? So, why do we advise people when they're going through maybe some faith troubles the same way? Well, you know, you gave it a good two days. That sounds good. No, we wouldn't do that. That's not the advice we would give to someone in a different area of life. And listen, I don't mean to frustrate people today, but I do believe, I'll talk to the Christians for a moment, okay? Uh, I think there are Christians who are giving up on faith or the local church because it requires persistence. 
Uh, I wrote this down a few years ago, and I wanted to share it again today. Um, If your life is a series of big beginnings, but no substantial finishes, it's because you lack persistence. You know, those people who just can't say no, they say yes to everything, but they accomplish nothing, right? You don't want to be that person. Uh, you, You don't want to be the person that makes it to third base because that's no better than striking out. It doesn't count unless you cross home. It doesn't matter unless you finish and you won't finish without persistence. But we want to say yes to everything. I get it, but we can't. So if I've offended my yes people today, let's, let's go to the other side so I get the rest of you, okay? Uh, the opposite is also a problem. You know people who say no to everything? <laughs> no, I'm just too busy this week. No, I can't help this week or next week or the next couple of weeks after that. No, I'm just taking time for myself this week. These are, these are folks who are so good at saying no, but there's a lack of, of persistence. Or said another way, we've gotten so good at boundaries, we've forgotten perseverance. You see, church, what I'm saying is that this takes balance. It takes balance. Your soul cannot handle you saying yes to everything and everyone. Please learn to say no. Honor yourself, honor your family, honor God, and take a day, take a personal Sabbath of sorts completely off. Uh, Your mental and emotional health will certainly thank you. The, The people and relationships that you value most will thank you. Honestly, you will thank you. But avoid being the person that never shows up because honestly, we're kind of obsessed with ourselves. The person maybe that's around, but never actually involved because, and I I mean this humbly, uh, if being involved in a faith community doesn't cost you something, you're, you're, you're not involved in a faith community. And there are honestly some deeper issues at play. James one says, blessed is the one who is steadfast. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us also set aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely and let us run the race with endurance set before us. Galatians 6 says, do not grow weary of doing good because you will need perseverance from start to finish. You need strength, but it's not in your own ability. It can't be in your own ability. Strength that comes from your maker, from your creator. And that only happens off the grid. It only happens in the quiet. And this is so important for your soul because then Jesus, he gives us a dose of reality in Matthew 6, 10. Uh, You should see it on the screen. It says, behold, I, this is Jesus. Words of Jesus. We all love Jesus until he says something hard. Here's something hard, okay? He says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I mean, think of that for a moment. We may be in a fight today, but who sends you? I didn't send me, Jesus, he sent me. Jesus did because it's all about Jesus. And this is why you you must grow in strength 
with God, which he freely gives us. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So Jesus, he says, I send you like sheep. So next time someone calls you a sheep, just say, okay, Jesus calls me a sheep. I'm, I'm fine, all right? Jesus, he sends us and we are given a spirit of power from God. What? Make that make sense. We are a sheep among wolves, and yet we can act on behalf of the power of God. And we get to use that power, not to freak anyone out, okay? This isn't the Avengers, okay? This is, this is different, okay? We use this power through something called authority. And I don't mean to get into the weeds here, but there is a huge difference between power from God and the authority that we use from God. And, and I have just a simple illustration that I, I, I saw this week in real time. Uh, you know, for, for those who don't know here in Louisville, most schools started back this past week. And uh, for uh, me and my family, we have a couple that are starting uh, in elementary school and we are so excited for them. And so we drove close to the school, but then we hopped out to walk the rest of the way. And to, to cross the street, we had a crossing guard. And I've seen these, you know, happen in real time. Uh, but this was just cool because I felt like my kids were seeing this for the first time. And so the crossing guard, with zero hesitation, steps out onto Bardstown Road. You know, that's a death wish. With what? What is he armed with? A sign and a whistle and a vest. Could he physically stop traffic with his power? No. No but we respect his authority. He stops traffic. Not because he's strong physically enough, but because of the authority that he has. Again, the crossing guard does not have the power, the sheer strength to stop traffic, but he does have the authority to stop traffic. Your dream, your passion, uh, your purpose, it all comes from God. And we are to step into that greatness with his authority, not our own. Because we will drown on our own. We will die on our own. But that's what it means to grow in strength with God. You may look silly walking out in front of traffic, but on behalf of the authority of God, it's different. And so, no, you can't stop the physical uh, things coming at you in real life. Not like that, but that's not how the power of God works. That's not how authority is, is, is given. And this is how you know if you are living in your own power or what God has given us, okay? If small things keep crushing you, it's because you're using your own strength, your own influence, your own authority. You're not using what God has given you. You are walking out there with no stop sign, with no whistle, with no vest. And for some reason you are confused when Bardstown doesn't respect you. I'm always confused when Bardstown doesn't respect me, but even more so. Now, God isn't just here for us to take advantage of him. But over time, he inspires confidence in us as we build trust with him. And when you reach a certain point in your faith journey, your desire to people please or to fit in or to be liked, it all begins 
to shift because our aim isn't people pleasing. Our aim isn't to just uh, make sure that everyone likes us and that we fit in. Our aim is actually to simply obey God. And, And my third last point is this, that our true audience is only found off the grid. So if you're with us today, you can see on the slide, audience has a capital A. Matthew 6, beginning, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Ironically, some of the first words he speaks in his ministry, in this, in the sermon he gives, he lists out all the things you're not supposed to do in public. Let me, let me read it to you. Just a few verses. Matthew 6, starting verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, before people, okay? Don't do it to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your given may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, if giving wasn't enough, he's like, hey, listen, also, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Go to the hidden place. Embrace the hidden hard work of not being recognized. Like I shared last week, sometimes, you know, I've heard myself almost get quoted and there's a part of me that's like, oh, I told you that. Tell people who you heard that from. That's pride, right? We don't need that sort of recognition. Jesus Jesus expects us to do the work of the kingdom of God without bragging about it. We aren't working to impress a random online audience or our neighbors, but we embody the gospel and do good for others without making it about ourselves. And that is what leaving a legacy is truly all about. If you want to do great things for God, you must be willing to do what others will not. And I think this isn't a generational thing. I think it's just amplified in my generation and in the next generation. Um, But there are a lot of young people, like a crazy amount, that uh, desire to be famous. We desire fame. I was talking with a friend of ours a, a few years ago, and she was sharing about how she wanted to be famous. She wanted to be liked. She wanted the popularity and so on. She wanted to do all these things. But I remember what made this conversation so difficult was that she's not a Christian. So I really, I couldn't tell her the difference between fame and greatness and it resonate with her. She wants fame, but she doesn't want to be great. You see, there's a difference in fame and greatness. Fame is what you do for yourself. Greatness is what you do for others. Pastor Erwin McManus out of Los Angeles, he says, fame is self-preservation, but greatness is self-sacrifice. Church, you can only pursue one of these. 
what are you pursuing? With the life that you live, with the things that you put out there, what are you pursuing? Because if you want to be liked, if, if, if you simply want an audience, if you want people to say nice things, I guess, the pursuit is fame. But if you were to die today, what legacy would you leave? Because you must decide right now if you're going to spend the rest of your life being known or being someone worth knowing. Option one is all about you. But option two is all about sacrifice and pointing people to Jesus. We, we, we must pick one because if you spend your life worried about being remembered, then you probably haven't lived a life worth remembering. Greatness is about picking up your cross, embracing a life of self-sacrifice and being humble enough to accept that, that this life is actually not about me. I thought I was cast as the main character, but that's the thing about surrendering your life to Christ is that we don't approach him with everything that we want to happen in our lives anymore, but we simply approach him and we say, what comes next? Because God would rather grow your soul than your influence. Growth of the soul, it comes in the secret place. It comes in, in being hidden and away from the world, growing with God. And true strength, true worth, true confidence will only come when we go all in with God, not half in and half out. I love Jesus, but I like being liked. Jesus said, this is the sort of situation, this is the sort of person that gets spit out of his mouth. We're not hot, we're not cold. We're just kind of living this weird lukewarmness and it's not sincere. Character, growth, belonging, purpose, all of this, it, it only comes in the quiet, in the secret place when God is our true anchor and we are secure. Because uh, let me tell you, as, as our worship team comes up to, to lead us back into worship, I, I want to tell you today that a life with Christ is not wave free, okay? Think of that water. It doesn't come without waves. Jesus, if you've already forgotten, right? We are sheep among wolves, okay? He says the waves will come, if you will. But do you want to be like me a couple of weeks ago, just fighting for your life, just to stay close to something and feel like you're never actually gaining ground? Or do you want to be anchored and firm and secure? That firm and, and secure, the security, the assurance that is Christ, that's Christ in our lives, where we can say, I, I don't need the approval of all these people. I need the approval of, of one person. And he already, he already calls me beloved. He loves me with, with a never stopping, unending, always and forever sort of love. And in that comes security. In that comes identity. In that comes the truth. That yes, while you have, you have sinned and, and, and there, there, there is sin in your life, that God doesn't hold that against you. 
that instead of looking at your life with a magnifying glass and showing you all the areas where you fall short, he actually points you to the cross. And he says, you got a bridge. God's not waiting to just knock you right back into line over and over and over and over. He's built a bridge for you to cross. That's, that, is, that is Christ, that is Jesus, that is the relationship with him. And so I don't know where you're at with God today, but I want you to know that, that you can leave here today with some hope, but you gotta be anchored. The world will tell you, anchor yourself into this. Anchor yourself into this. Give your life to these other things. Um, they're fine for a time, but they fade away. But there is an anchor, firm and secure for your soul that changes everything. If you wouldn't mind to please stand, I will go ahead and pray for us as we go into a time of worship. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray as we enter into a time of reflection and worship and, I mean, even repentance and, and asking what you're doing in our, in our souls, in our lives, Lord. Uh, I just pray that we would just take one step today. Maybe that step is simply acknowledging I'm not okay. Maybe that step is I need a savior, I need an anchor, and that is Jesus. Maybe it's a step somewhere in between today. I think we all have a step to take with God today. And, and so, Father, I pray you would draw us closer to you. Maybe we need to come forward. Maybe we need prayer this morning. I pray for boldness and courage for that. Maybe we need to sit down and pray and be honest. Maybe we need to raise our hands in worship. Wherever we are at today, we say, come Holy Spirit, move in this place and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name.